بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والصلاة والسلام على رسوله الكريم وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين خطز جسنت a subdivision of the Sheikh Eid bin Muhammad Al Thani Charity Association is pleased to present to you this series of lectures from the book entitled Minhaj Ahl Sunnah Wal Jama'ah Fil Aqidah Wal Amal the methodology of the people of Sunnah in matters of creed and actions by a Sheikh Muhammad ibn Saleh ibn Uthaymeen Rahimahullah Tape number 9 contains two points of the essay Point number 4 concerning the right of As-Sahaba the companions of the Prophet and point number 5 concerning the right of the Awliya Allah and Al-A'immah the friends of Allah and the Imam of the Muslim Ummah ومن سيئات عمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يذلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله ذلك الفريز يلونس تو الله ويكريز هم سيكز اسستنس وفقيبنس we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves and the evil consequences of our deeds. Whoever Allah guides, there is no one that can lead him astray, and whoever Allah leads astray, there is no one that can guide him. I bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah alone, and that he has no partners or associates. And I bear witness that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is his slave servant and his messenger. Uh, we'd like to begin the lecture this morning, lecture number nine, in our series of lectures concerning the Islamic belief system al-Aqidah al-Islamiyyah from the book of Shaykh Muhammad ibn Salih al-Uthaymeen, Hafidahullah, may Allah protect and preserve him, entitled Minhaj Ahl al-Sunnah wal-Jama'ah, the methodology of the Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah related to beliefs, Al Aqidah, and actions. Al Amal. Quickly, we'd like to review the points which we covered in the previous lecture, lecture number eight. It was from point number three of the essay concerning the tariqah or the way of the Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah fi haq al Rasul concerning the rights of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And the first thing we said is that the shahada or the testimony of faith is completed by three matters. And those three matters, yani the testimony of la ilaha illallah, that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah and Muhammad Rasulullah, Muhammad is the Messenger of Allah, This testimony is completed by fulfilling three things. The first of them is that is conviction, a firm conviction in the heart. The second of them is pronouncement of the testimony on the tongue. And the third of them is or actions which are performed by the body parts or the limbs. Since these three things are all necessary, 
they are equally necessary in order for the testimony to be complete. For this reason, the pronouncement of this testimony or this shahada on the tongue alone, while not having the conviction in the heart, is not acceptable to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And for this reason, Allah says in the Quran, when the hypocrites, when the munafiqun testified that we bear witness that you are the messenger of Allah to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam when they said that to him then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said wallahu ya'lamu innaka la rasuluh and Allah knows for sure that you are indeed his messenger wallahu yashhadu anna al-munafiqina aw inna al-munafiqina lakadibun and Allah testifies and bear witness that indeed the munafiqin that they are liars why is it that they are liars since they were saying that Muhammad sallallahu is the messenger of Allah and this is indeed true? It is because the testimony they were making on their tongues was not in agreement with what was in their heart. So whoever testifies to the uniqueness, the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the prophethood of Muhammad, it has to be completed not only by saying it on the tongue but having conviction in the heart and that conviction in the heart also has to be followed by actions which are in accordance with that testimony. We also mentioned that of the rights of the Messenger of Allah is that we love him and we have great respect for him. And this is a direct result and it is connected to our love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala due to the fact that we love Allah and he has chosen the Messenger Muhammad as his final prophet and messenger to all of mankind. For this reason we also love the one whom he has chosen to, to deliver the message. And also we say that from the rights of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu is a ta'zeem or honoring him, showing the highest honor and respect for him. Since he has the highest status or place uh, in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, since Allah has chosen him as his messenger and raised him up in status above the rest of humanity, therefore we also recognize this status and we have the greatest uh, respect for him since he is the best of humanity in worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and in delivering the message, the final message to all of humanity. Also we said that the Prophet he is not, he doesn't uh, possess the characteristics, the divine characteristics of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and some amongst those characteristics is that he does not have knowledge of the unseen. We believe that the Prophet does not have knowledge of the unseen except if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given him uh, or has revealed to him something of the knowledge of the unseen. Otherwise, uh, he is a human being and he has no knowledge of the unseen like any other creature of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, also we said that the Prophet sallallahu is a human being having no characteristics of rububiya or lordship. We believe that he is a human being. He has no share in the divine lordship or rulership over the universe. Uh, and the proof of this is that on many occasions he was asked about matters of the divine law and he was unable to answer until revelation came to him informing him or correcting any particular matter that he was engaged in at that time. And finally we said that the Prophet ﷺ possessed human characteristics, al-khafa'is, al-bashariya. He has the human characteristics like other human beings. He ate and drank, slept and suffered illness and pain and grief and anger and was pleased and so on. And finally he died like every other human being. And his family and companions 
performed those things that are normally done for a person who dies. They did it for him like they did with every other person who died. Therefore, whoever claims that he is alive in his grave and that he is praying or fasting or performing other acts of worship, that person has indeed spoken out of ignorance without knowledge uh, and they have contradicted the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, that everyone will die, not only uh, the people who are around him, but also as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِنَّكَ مَيِّتُونَ وَإِنَّكُمْ مَيِّتُونَ That verily you will die, and those who are around you, your companions and other people will also die, ثُمَّ إِنَّكُمْ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ عِنْدَ رَبِّكُمْ then verily on the day of resurrection you will be in front of your Lord settling your disputes. Uh, so this is briefly what we covered in the previous lecture. Uh, and now the topics that we want to cover for this morning uh, is related to the following point in the essay of Shaykh Muhammad ibn Salih Uthaymeen, Hafidhullah. It is point number four. Point number four, it is the tariqah, ahl sunnah wal jama'ah fi haq al-sahaba radiyallahu anhum. The way of the ahl sunnah wal jama'ah concerning the right of the sahaba, the companions of the Messenger of Allah radiyallahu anhum ajma'een wa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Yani what is the position of the Ahlul Sunnah Jama'ah concerning the Sahaba, the companions, the followers, the students of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam? The Shaykh says that the Ahlul Sunnah Jama'ah recognize and acknowledge the companions of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, acknowledging their worth and their value, their status and their rank as being high above all of the other people of the Ummah. We recognize that they are the best of all the generations and this is based on the testimony or the acknowledgement of the Prophet ﷺ himself in which it is reported in the Sahih of Muslim, the Hadith of Imran ibn Hussain, خَيْرُ النَّاسِ قَرْنِي ثُمَّ الَّذِينَ يَلُونَهُمْ ثُمَّ الَّذِينَ يَلُونَهُمْ that the best of all of humanity is my generation, meaning his companions, the Sahaba. Then those who would come after or follow them, meaning the Tabi'un, the students of Sahaba. Then those who would follow, meaning the Atba'a'at-Tabi'in, or the students of the students of Sahaba. The Prophet ﷺ made it clear in this hadith that the best of this ummah, without a doubt, are the companions, his generation, his companions, his sahaba, radiallahu anhum ajma'een. However, uh, even the companions have ranks of status or levels, some of them having preference or superiority over others. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala indicates this in the verse contained in Surah Al-Hadid, chapter 57, verse 10, لا يستوي منكم من أنفق من قبل من قبل الفتح وقاتل أولئك أعظم درجة من الذين أنفقوا من بعد وقاتلوا وكلا 
وعد الله حسنا والله بما تعملون خبير الله سبحانه وتعالى in this verse makes it clear that they are not equal لا يقتوي منكم those amongst you meaning the companions of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم there is no equality amongst you there is no equality between those who spent and who gave in sadaqah in charity and fought in jihad before the conquest of Mecca before the Muslims conquered Mecca those who spent in the way of Allah and who fought in the way of Allah in the early days of Islam before the conquest of Mecca those who came after them who fought later and who spent later are not equal to them but those who fought before the conquest of Mecca they are higher in degree Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that those who were first أُولَئِكَ أَعْظَمُ دَرَجَةً مِنَ الَّذِينَ أَنْفَقُوا مِنْ بَعْدْ وَخَاتَلُ That those who fought and spent first before the conquest of Mecca have a higher degree or a higher status than those who spent in the way of Allah and fought after the conquest of Mecca. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes it clear that all of them have a high status وَقُلَّنْ وَعْدَ اللَّهُ حُسْنَى But all of them Allah has promised Al-Husna, Allah has promised good to all of them or the best reward or paradise and Allah is all aware of whatever you do. So this is a proof that those who joined the Prophet and spent in the cause of Allah and fought in the cause of Allah in the early days before the conquest of Mecca, before the Muslims ruled in the Arabian Peninsula, those who joined him first in the more difficult times that their status is higher than those who came after though Allah is pleased and Allah has promised paradise to all of them also what shows this is the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala لا يستوي القائدون من المؤمنين غير أول الضرر والمجاهدون في سبيل الله بأموالهم وأنفسهم that also there is a distinction, not equal are those of the believers who sit at home and who didn't go out to jihad. They are not equal to those who went out in jihad to strive and fight in the cause of Allah with their wealth and their lives, except, except those who are disabled, those who are excused due to injury or due to being blind or lame or some other any excuse that they may have which prevents them from fighting in jihad with the exception of those those who went out and fought and those who remained at home who didn't go in jihad are not equal but those who went in jihad they are preferable Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says concerning them فَضَّلَ اللَّهُ الْمُجَاهِدِينَ بِأَمْوَالِهِمْ وَأَنْفُسِهِمْ عَلَى الْقَائِدِينَ دَرَجَةً that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has preferred he has given a higher level and a higher status to those who strive hard and fight with their wealth and their lives. He has given them a higher status or a higher grade above those who sit at home. And again, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in this verse, وَكُلًّا وَعَدَ اللَّهُ الْحُسْنَى But every, each of them, he, Allah has promised al-husna. He has promised a good reward or the paradise. Those who went out in jihad and those who didn't go out in jihad, He has promised both of them a good reward of paradise, but He has preferred فَضَّلَ اللَّهُ الْمُجَاهِدِينَ بِأَمْوَالِهِمْ وَأَنْفُسِهِمْ عَلَى الْقَائِدِينَ دَرَجَةً They have been giving a higher status or a higher level, those who went out. Though He promised both of them the reward of paradise. 
وفضل الله المجاهدين على القاعدين أجرا عظيما. And also Allah has given preference to those who strive hard and fight in His cause for the sake of Allah uh, above those who sit at home. He has given them the preference of a great ajran azeeman, a tremendous or a supreme reward. And this is mentioned in Surah Al-Nisa chapter 4, verse 95. So this shows that even the levels of Sahaba, though they are the best of the Ummah, they are the best of the Muslim generations, the first generation, but even amongst them there is also preference and superiority of some over others due to the effort that they made, the sacrifice that they made, and the good deeds that they did. Uh, in, this, in, in light of this, we also, the Shaykh says, that these levels or degrees of preference of some over others, it is important or necessary that we keep in mind that uh, one or some of the Sahaba, they may have a status in the general or absolute sense higher than others. Overall, they have a higher status, while some of them may have a superiority uh, over others in one aspect, but not in general or in the absolute sense. Yani, some of them may be preferable overall to others, while even those who they have preference over, there may be some from amongst them who have a particular characteristic or trait that is superior to those who are in general superior to them. This means that we say, the Ahlul Sunnah al Jama'ah say that the most preferable, in the absolute sense, the most preferable of Sahaba is Al Khulafa al Arba'ah, the four Khalifas, the four rulers after the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And their preference is in accordance with their uh, rulership. The first of them, the first one who ruled, he is the most preferable. That is Abu Bakr al-Siddiq radiallahu anhu, then Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu, then Uthman ibn Affan radiallahu anhu, and finally Ali ibn Abi Talib radiallahu anhu. Yani, this was the order of their rulership, of their khilafa. Abu Bakr, then Umar, then Uthman, then Ali. And this is the order of their preference. The best of the Muslim Ummah are the four Khalifas, and the best of the four Khalifas is Abu Bakr, and then next Umar, and then next Uthman, and then next Ali. So that the order of their preference is in accordance with their, uh, their uh, status, or their position as the Khalifa, or the ruler of the Muslims. In spite of this, it doesn't mean that though Abu Bakr al-Siddiq is the best of the Muslim Ummah and the best of the four Khalifas, it doesn't mean that no one of the Sahaba can have a special virtue or trait uh, or يعني, that they cannot have some status on a particular issue that might distinguish them above even Abu Bakr Siddiq in a particular matter. Though overall, Abu Bakr Siddiq is the best of them. It is possible that, for example, Ali ibn Abi Talib, radiallahu anhu, he might have a particular virtue or a trait which is superior in that area over that trait in Abu Bakr Siddiq, radiallahu anhu. And likewise, Omar might have a particular virtue uh, or he might have done a certain deed 
that he is praised for above the others in that particular area, while in general we say that the best of them is Abu Bakr and then Omar and then Uthman and so on, but in particular areas it is possible that one of the companions may be superior in a certain area, even to the one who is superior overall, that is Abu Bakr Sadiq, uh, and after him Omar and Uthman and Ali and so on. Uh, <coughs> and this is something that is agreed upon by the Ahlul Sunnah al-Jama'ah, and this is what is indicated by the verses of Qur'an which we mentioned, chapter 57 verse 10, uh, and also chapter 4 verse 95, as well as it is proven and indicated in the Sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu that while the overall preference is to Abu Bakr and then Umar and Uthman and Ali and so on, but nonetheless <coughs> it may be possible that someone may in a particular area be superior and also that the levels of Sahaba are not all the same. And this is indicated in the hadith that's reported by Al-Bukhari and Muslim on the authority of Abu Sa'id al-Khudri in which it is said that the Prophet wasallam, when there was a dispute or disagreement between Khalid ibn al-Walid radiallahu anhu, the great Mujahid who used to, who won many of the battles for the Muslims against the disbelievers, there was a dispute between him and Abdul Rahman ibn Awf radiallahu anhu, who was one of the ten people promised paradise. Uh, and Khalid spoke harshly to Abdul Rahman ibn Awf as a result of that, according to some of the narrations, it said that there was a dispute between Khalid and Abdul Rahman, and Khalid spoke harshly to him. Sabbahu. فَقَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ Then the Messenger of Allah sallallahu said to Khalid لَا Don't speak harshly to my companions فَوَالَّذِي نَفْسِي بِيَدِهِ لَوْ أَنَّ أَحَدَكُمْ أَنْفَقَ مِثْلَ أُحُدٍ ذَهَبَ مَا بَلَدَ مُدَّ أَحَدِهِمْ وَلَا نَصِيفًا Yani, here in this hadith, the Prophet ﷺ scolded Khalid. Khalid is also a companion of the Prophet ﷺ. He is one of the Sahaba. But here, the distinction between the Sahaba, even a great Sahabi like Khalid ibn Walid, was not equal to Abdurrahman ibn Awf. And for that reason, when he spoke harshly to Abdurrahman ibn Awf, the Prophet ﷺ said to him, La tasubu ashabi. Don't abuse my companion. Khalid was also a companion, but the status of Abdurrahman ibn Awf was higher than Khalid. So the Prophet made a distinction between them and he said, Don't abuse my companions. I swear by the one in whose hand is my life. If you, if any one of you, meaning the lesser uh, group of Sahaba, if any one of you were to spend, and that's also applicable to everybody after them who is less than the companions, if any one of you were to spend in charity, an amount of gold equal to the mountain of Uhud, an amount of gold equal to a whole mountain, the mountain of Uhud, it would not reach, nor would it equal a mud, which is a dry measure, equal to what may be held in two hands if they are cupped together. And if you were to cup your two hands together, that amount of gold, or even half of it, if you spent the amount of gold equal to a whole mountain, it wouldn't be equal to what they spent of this small measure, or even half of it if they spent it in charity. That means that the charity of the superior group of Sahaba 
and in general the Sahaba over everybody who came after them, if they spent a mud of gold, yani the amount of gold that you can hold in two hands cut together, it would be superior to the other people who gave an amount of gold equal to a mountain like the mountains of Uhud. And this is mentioned in Sahih al-Bukhari, chapter 5, verse 25, uh, volume 5, verse 25, hadith number 3673. That's in the new edition or the new printing of the English translation, translation of Bukhari. So here in this hadith, the Prophet ﷺ makes a distinction between his companions. He makes a distinction and shows the superiority of Abdurrahman ibn Awf over Khalid ibn al-Walid radiyallahu anhu majma'in, may Allah be pleased with all of them and likewise we can understand from this the superiority of the Sahaba over everyone who came after them also the Ahlul Sunnah al Jama'ah say that some of the Sahaba some of the companions have a maziyya or a merit or virtue or excellence uh, which is not possessed by others from amongst the Sahaba. Yani some of the Sahaba have a certain excellence or superiority or virtue or merit that the other Sahaba do not have. And for this reason we must recognize such a status that they are entitled to above the others that they are described with and others are not described with it. So for example if one of the companions he is from the Ahlul Bayt or Ali Bayt al-Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he is from the household or the direct family of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam such as Ali ibn Abi Talib he was from the direct household of the Prophet he was his cousin and he was his son-in-law such a one who is directly from the family of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has a distinction they have an excellence, a superiority or a merit that the other Sahaba who are not from his direct family do not have. Likewise is the case with Hamza radiallahu anhu, Al-Abbas radiallahu anhu, two of the uncles of the Prophet and likewise his cousin Abdullah ibn Abbas and so on from amongst those who are from his direct family. They have a status or an excellence or a merit that the other companions of the Prophet ﷺ do not enjoy. For this reason we love them more than we love the others from the perspective of them being near blood relatives of the Messenger of Allah ﷺ. But it doesn't mean, from that perspective we love them more, but it doesn't mean that we love them more, absolutely more than all the other Sahaba. No, because we love Abu Bakr Sadiq in the absolute sense because of his superiority in general over all companions. But there is a special love for the companions of the Prophet who are from his direct household. This is a, uh, a merit that they have which others don't possess. And likewise, there is a merit for some of the Sahaba who are from the Ahl Badr, the people who fought in the Battle of Badr. They also have a status superior to the other companions of the Prophet who didn't fight in the first battle, the Battle of Badr, which was the first battle fought against the Muslims by the pagan Mushrikeen of Mecca. Those who fought in that battle also have a status, a special excellence over the other companions who didn't participate in that battle or who had not yet joined the Muslims. And likewise, Ashabu Shajarah, those people who gave bay'ah or allegiance to the Prophet ﷺ under the tree, they also have a special status 
that is not enjoyed by those who do not participate in that uh, pledge of allegiance. So that we also recognize that some of the Sahaba have a merit or a virtue or an excellence or superiority that are not enjoyed by the Sahaba in general, but is enjoyed only by those who are specifically from that particular group. Uh, and this is something that we recognize and we acknowledge it. But it doesn't mean that we say because of that particular virtue that they are superior to all of us, all other Sahaba in general. But we recognize the general superiority of Abu Bakr and then Omar and then Uthman and then Ali. And we also recognize the specific virtues of some of Sahaba who are from the family of the Prophet or from the people who fought in the battle of Badr or who took the Pledge of Allegiance under the tree and so on. So we recognize the nearness of the Prophet and we recognize those others who have some particular uh, virtue, although we don't say that they are absolutely superior to all of the Sahaba in general. Because all of these levels and these uh, virtues or merits, they are characteristics that a person may be described by and may be distinguished by over others. It gives them some distinction or some superiority, but it's not in the absolute sense. And finally, the Shaykh says that concerning the rights of Sahaba, we also have to be careful that we don't go to the extremes in love of the Ali Bayt, the family of the Prophet yani part of the position of the Ahl Sunnah al Jama'ah is that in our love and respect for the family of the Prophet we don't go to extremes. We, go, we don't go to the extremes of the Rawafid, the Shia, who falsely claim extreme love for the family of the Prophet to the extent that they even some of them go to the extremes of claiming almost divinity for some of the members of his household such as Ali ibn Abi Talib their false claim of extreme love, it is extremism, and we don't go to such extremes. But we have the proper love and respect for the companions in general and the household or the family of the Prophet Likewise, we don't go to the opposite extreme of the Nawasib, those who have extreme hatred for the family of the Prophet claiming falsely allegiance to Muawiyah and therefore having enmity and hatred for Ali due to the conflict that was between the two. These are extremes that should be avoided. The extreme of uh, loving the family of the Prophet ﷺ beyond the bounds and the extreme of hating them also unjustly. But we, the Ahl Sunnah take the middle position between the extremes and we recognize the rights of those who have nearness uh, in blood relations to the Messenger of Allah وسلم, without going beyond the bounds. But we put them in the position that Allah has put them in and we love and respect them as companions of the Prophet وسلم, and as members of his family. This is the summary of the position of the Ahl Sunnah al Jama'ah concerning the companions, the Sahaba of the Messenger of Allah. The questions at the end of this section. Uh, quickly, which generation of Muslims was the best? And we said that the best generation was his generation, meaning the Sahaba, the companions of the Prophet ﷺ, the first Muslims. 
two are the companions of the Prophet all equal in merit, virtue, and excellence. And we said they are not all equal, as Allah Taala makes it clear in the verses which we already mentioned from Surah Al-Nisa and also from Surah Al-Hadid, chapter 57, verse 10. That there is degrees of superiority of some over others. Number three was Ali ibn Abi Talib and who considered the best of all the companions and we say no even though he was Sahabi companion he was a, fam- a family member of the Prophet he was his son-in-law and his cousin and he was one of the first people to join Islam of the household of the Prophet his near blood relatives they have a virtue or a superiority over others and also another example of this are the people who fought in the battle of Badr and also those who gave the Pledge of Allegiance to the Prophet ﷺ in that difficult time when the Pledge was given under the tree. Uh, also, the last question, Ahlul Sunnah Jama'ah, do not go to extremes in love of the family of the Prophet ﷺ explained. We said that we don't go to extremes, but the correct position of Ahlul Sunnah Jama'ah is the middle force between the extremes of extreme love for the family of the Prophet going beyond the bounds or extreme hatred uh, the other side, unnecessary and unjustified hatred of the family of the Prophet ﷺ due to the difference that took place between Ali ibn Abi Talib and Muawiyah may Allah be pleased with both of them uh, but the, the proper course is the middle course having proper respect and love for the family of the Prophet just as we do for the other companions of the Messenger of Allah wasallam. The next point, point number five uh, in the essay is the Shaykh mentions point number five is Tariqatu Ahlis Sunnah wal Jama'ah fi haq al-awliya wal a'imma the methodology or the way of the Ahlis Sunnah wal Jama'ah concerning al-awliya the awliya, awliya is the plural of wali and it is commonly referred to the awliya of Allah are commonly referred to as, as the saints and we say that a, probably a more proper expression to be used would be those who are near to Allah or the friends of Allah. Yani, uh, this uh, expression will be explained in the course of the discussion of the essay. But what is the methodology of Ahlul Sunnah concerning the awliya, the friends of Allah, and al-a'imma, the imams or the leaders or the scholars of the sharia, the scholars of the divine law. The Shaykh says that the Imams of the Divine Law, the Sharia, praise be to Allah, they are all well known. And they have been recognized, acknowledged, and praised by the Muslim Ummah in general. Their, their value and their status and their work is recognized by the Muslims in general. That they are the leaders and the scholars of this Ummah, such as Al Imam Abu Hanifa and Al-Imam Malik, and Shafi, and Ahmed, and those who came after them, and those who came before them, from amongst the Tabi'een, such as Abdullah ibn al-Mubarak, uh, Sufyan al-Thawri, and others from amongst the great, uh, the leaders, or the Imams of the Muslim Ummah, and even before them, the Imams from amongst the companions, the Sahaba. These Imams of the Muslims are recognized and acknowledged, and their status is well known. However, we do not believe that they are described with al-usma, infallibility. We recognize the Imams as being the leaders and the most knowledgeable of the Muslim Ummah, but we do not believe that they are infallible. 
It is not the position of Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah that any one of the Imams is infallible or incapable of falling into error or incapable of continuing on the error without being corrected. They made errors and some of their errors they didn't recognize even until their death. They died on that error because they were human beings, even though they were the most knowledgeable of the Ummah, but they were not infallible. They were capable of making mistakes and they did indeed make mistakes. The only one who we say it is not possible to make an error and to remain on that error without being corrected is the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam he is infallible in that sense of delivering the message and delivering the law if he made any mistake then Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala would send revelation to correct him because his mistake if it was left would be followed by the people and the people would go astray any mistake in judgment that he made was corrected by revelation and therefore we say that al-usma is only for the messenger of Allah and the infallibility in delivering the message in delivering the law is for the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi he is the only one that we say is ma'asum infallible as for others besides him no matter what level they may have reached in knowledge and scholarship they are not ma'asum in no way do we believe that they are infallible Everyone makes mistakes and everyone, their opinion might be accepted or rejected except the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam about whom Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala says in the Quran that which makes us to know that we are to obey Him with absolute obedience. Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala says in the Quran Surah Al-Nisa chapter 4 verse 59 Ya ayyuhal ladheena amanu O you who believe Ati'u Allah Wa ati'u Rasul Obey Allah And obey the messenger Wa ulil amri minkum And also obey And also those in authority From amongst you From amongst the Muslims But the obedience for Allah And the obedience to the messenger of Allah Is in the absolute sense While obedience to those in authority Is conditional As long as the, those in authority From amongst you order you to do that which is in accordance with the law of Allah and the sunnah of the Messenger of Allah, you are to obey them. But if they order you to do something in disobedience to Allah or disobedience to the Messenger of Allah, then they are not to be obeyed. But absolute obedience in this ayat is mentioned for Allah and the Messenger of Allah. Allah, Obey Allah. And obey the Messenger. But here Allah doesn't say But He just says He connects it The obedience to them is connected to obedience to Allah and His Messenger Showing that obedience to them is conditional Upon their obedience to Allah and His Messenger Or that which they order you to do Has to be in agreement with And not in conflict with What we are ordered by Allah and the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu So the Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah Say that there is no doubt about the fact That we have Imams And our Imams are to be followed and there is no doubt about the fact that they are awliya, friends of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But we don't understand from this that we confirm usman or infallibility for the imams. Following them is conditional upon their following the sharia, the Quran and sunnah. And likewise, we don't confirm for any one of the awliya of Allah, the friends of Allah, we don't confirm any divine characteristics such as having knowledge of the unseen or having control of any of the affairs of the universe as is believed by some of the people who deviated and went astray due to their ignorance such as the groups of Sufis who claim that the awliya of Allah 
have special powers, have knowledge of the unseen, and can control some of the affairs of the universe. All of this is rejected by the Ahl Sunnah al Jama'ah, just as there is no infallibility for the Imams of the Sharia. Likewise, there is no divine characteristics for the Awliya of Allah. Also, we say that those who claim for themselves, Wilaya, who claim that they are Wali, we don't accept such claims, nor those who make false claims to being able to do supernatural or unnatural things or having special powers that others don't have in order to attract the unsuspecting masses. We don't accept such claims, but we say that the wilaya or the position of being a wali of Allah, near to Allah, close to Allah, a friend of Allah, it is something that has been made crystal clear by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in his saying in Surah Yunus chapter 10 verse 62 and 63 Allah inna awliya Allah isn't it so no doubt about the fact that verily the awliya of Allah la khawfun alayhim walakum yahzanun that there is no fear upon them nor shall they grieve then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes clear who are the awliya of Allah what is the characteristics or definition of the awliya of Allah? It is الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَكَانُوا يَتَّقُونَ The awliya of Allah are those who amanu, those who have iman, وَكَانُوا يَتَّقُونَ And those who have taqwa, the conditions or the description of determining the awliya of Allah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes clear in this ayah that it is الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا Those who believe, who have strong faith and conviction in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala وَكَانُوا يَتَّقُونَ and those who have taqwa who have consciousness of Allah in obeying His commands and abstaining from His prohibition here the shaykh says that the awliya of Allah are those who believe and who have taqwa and al-iman he said it is al-aqidah الَّذِينَ amanu it means those who have aqidah who have a firm belief and conviction conviction in the tawheed of Allah that He is the only Lord and Creator and He is the only one that is perfect and he is the only one that should be obeyed, loved and worshipped. And he says At-Taqwa, the second characteristic, Al-Iman is the first, it is Al-Aqidah, and the second one At-Taqwa, it is Al-Amal, Qawlan Kana or Fa'lan. Al-Taqwa, it means the actions of the person, whether speech or actions, that their speech and their actions should be in accordance with the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, doing that which he has ordered us to do and abstaining from that which he has prohibited us from. So these two characteristics, al-iman and al-taqwa, al-aqidah and amal, faith or conviction and actions in accordance with that which is pleasing to Allah, are the two characteristics or the conditions by which we can judge who is the awliya of Allah. The friends of Allah are those who have iman and those who have taqwa, simply. From this ayah, Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah has offered a very beautiful expression in his saying, he said مَنْ كَانَ مُؤْمِنًا تَقِيًّا كَانَ لِلَّهِ وَلِيًّا That whoever was mu'minan, a believer, having iman, وَتَقِيًّا uh, A muqtaqi, a person of taqwa, having taqwa, كَانَ لِلَّهِ وَلِيًّا Then that person is a wali of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala مَنْ كَانَ مُؤْمِنًا تَقِيًّا كَانَ لِلَّهِ وَلِيًّا So the wali is the person who has the iman and the person who has taqwa. This is the real wali. The wali is not those who try to gather the people around them, who collect 
the ignorant masses and say to them, I can do such and such and so and so, yani bragging or boasting or claiming to do supernatural or yani those things which are unusual or beyond nature or what may be considered miraculous or otherwise. But they only do such things by seeking help from the devil, the shayateen. In order to know something about some of the unseen or hidden matters, they seek help from the shayateen and then they inform the people. They tell the people of such things that they have been informed by the jinn, by the evil jinn, the shayateen, and then the people based on that begin to believe that these people are really from the awliya of Allah. But in fact, al-wilaya or being of the awliya of Allah, it is actually through strict following. Ittiba' al-rasul sallallahu alayhi wasallam. It is through strictly following the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu believing as he believes and acting as he acts and also by iman, conviction in Allah and taqwa, righteous actions. This is uh, the true wali. However, those people uh, who are from the awliya of Allah on the, based on these conditions following strictly the sunnah of the Prophet and having iman and taqwa it is not a necessity that every wali of Allah that Allah will make for him uh, or give him the ability to perform a karama and to do some act some unusual or super, or what is quote unquote considered as a supernatural act not every wali does a karama but a karama, it is a mark or a token of honor or respect that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala might allow to be performed by a wali, but it is for a reason. Most of the awliya of Allah didn't have any karama, because usually the karama is something that Allah causes to happen to defend the truth or to repulse falsehood. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows a wali or one of his awliya to do a certain act in order to defend the truth or to promote the truth or to refute and repulse falsehood. But normally the karama, this uh, quote-unquote supernatural act is not uh, done to confirm the personality of a particular individual as a wali. In fact, it is done primarily as a defense of truth and any repulsion of falsehood. So it is not a necessity that every wali of Allah performs such an act. Some of them lived and died without having any karama, while others may have had many karama. Uh, these, the Shaykh says that these acts, these karamat, as the scholars said, actually whenever a wali is allowed to do an act which is called a karama, it is in fact an ayah. It is an ayah, a sign for the Prophet whom that wali is following. Yani any of the awliya of Allah who from the ummah of Muhammad وسلم, if they did any act by permission from Allah, then that act is really an ayah or a sign of the truthfulness of the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, who that wali is following. Here the Shaykh makes a distinction between uh, the expression ayah and the expression mu'ajizah. He said, I didn't use the word mu'ajizah because it is more proper that such acts should be referred to as ayah, as an ayah, a sign. 
because this expression ayah is the Quranic expression and this expression ayah is more expressive and has deeper meaning than the term mu'ajizah which is commonly translated as a miracle he said that it is preferable to use the word ayah because the word ayah it means alama it means a sign or a symbol which points to the truthfulness or the sidq of that which the messenger وسلم, has brought the message that he brought the revelation that he delivered and the law that he confirmed for the people while al-mu'jiza which is commonly referred to as a miracle it is it has many meanings and from amongst those meanings it refers to those things which might be done the tricks or the sleight of hand that is done by a magician or a trickster or that which is done by a very strong person who is capable of doing that which others are incapable of doing you say that ajiza anhu yani those things which ajiza anhu ghayruhu which others were not able to do you, this may be referred to as a mu'jiza that the person did something that other people were unable to do and this is not necessarily uh, a sign from Allah so rather than to refer to such quote-unquote supernatural or unusual or extraordinary or things or acts that are outside of the normal rather than referring to them as mu'jiza the shaykh says that it is more proper to use the Quranic terminology which is ayah a sign or a symbol which points to the truthfulness of the message that was brought by that prophet or the messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. This expression he said is more expressive and it is more exact and it is the Quranic expression therefore it is better that we use it. And finally he closes by saying that there are some people as we have heard in this ummah from the amongst the Muslim ummah who claim that they are awliya of Allah but if we were to examine their condition and look at their circumstances and the things that they are doing and saying and believing in we will see that they are very far from the status of being a wali of Allah in fact they have no portion of such high status of wilaya in fact it is only by the help of the devil the shayateen that they are doing those things that they do in order to deceive the simple people or the ignorant masses into believing that they are of the high status of the awliya of Allah and as we said the awliya of Allah as mentioned by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran are those who believe and those who have taqwa this is the end of what the shaykh wants to say concerning these two important points or topics that is the topic of the imam what is the, the position of Ahl Sunnah al-Jama'ah concerning the imam or the scholars of the Muslim Ummah and concerning the awliya of Allah and the friends of Allah what is our position how do we look at them and how do we perceive uh, such people the imams are not infallible and the awliya of Allah are not having any divine qualities of knowledge of the unseen or control of anything in the universe but in fact the true awliya of Allah are only able to do uh, these extraordinary acts sometimes by the mission of Allah primarily uh, to support the truth and to refute falsehood and as well they are signs of the truthfulness of the Prophet the question here is it correct to follow any one of the Imams in his every opinion or position 
Is there any Imam who we can follow in everything that he has said or every opinion that he holds? We said no, because the Imams are not ma'asum, they are not infallible. Two, can we follow the Prophet ﷺ in his every statement and action explained? Now, we said we can follow the Prophet ﷺ in every action and statement, even though he is human, but he is infallible or he is ma'asum in terms of delivering the message of Allah and the divine law. And if he made an error in his deliverance of that message, then Allah will correct it by divine revelation. Therefore, every statement of the Prophet ﷺ and every action, it may be followed as Allah ordered us to follow and obey him. Number three, what is the Quranic criterion for divining, defining awliya of Allah, the friends of Allah? We said that this is based on the ayah of Surah Yunus chapter 10 verse 63. The Quranic criterion is al-iman. Conviction in Allah or faith in Allah and taqwa, piety or righteousness or actions, good deeds. Number four, is it the purpose of the karama to prove that someone is a wali? We said that no, the purpose of the karama is to defend the truth, to support the truth and to refute falsehood and as a sign of the truthfulness of the message that was delivered by the prophet who that wali is following. And finally, number five, what is the difference between the two expressions, ayah and mu'ajizah? And we said that basically, ayah, it means uh, an extraordinary feat or something that is done which is a sign of the truthfulness of the Prophet. And mu'ajizah, which is normally defined as miracle, it means some type of quote-unquote supernatural act which may be done by the tricks of the trickster or the magic of the magician or it may be done by a person who is very strong who is capable or able to do that which others are incapable of doing physically or otherwise so mu'ajiza it means something that a person does which others are unable to do but ayah it means a sign a sign of the truthfulness of the message of the prophet in support of the truth and refutation of falsehood سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك أشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت أستغفرك وأتوب إليك. Reading from your brothers of Qatar's guest center, a subdivision of the Sheikh Eid bin Mohammed Al Thani Charity Association. Telephone number four eight six two three nine zero. Fax four eight six two three five eight. والسلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim Has there reached you the report of the overwhelming event? Some faces that day will be humbled. Working hard and exhausted. They will enter to burn in an intensely hot fire. They will be given drink from a boiling spring. For them there will be no food except from a poisonous thorny plant. Which 
which neither nourishes nor avails against hunger. Other faces that day will show pleasure with their effort they are satisfied in an elevated garden wherein they will hear no unsuitable speech within it is a flowing spring Within it are couches raised high and cups put in place and cushions lined up and carpets spread around. Then do they not look at the camels, how they are created? And at the sky, how it is raised? And at the mountains, how they are erected? And at the earth, how it is spread out. So remind, O Muhammad, you are only a reminder. You are not over them a controller. However, he who turns away and disbelieves. Then Allah will punish him with the greatest punishment. Indeed, to us is their return. Then indeed, upon us is their account. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Bismillahir By the dawn. And by the ten nights. And by the even number and the odd. And by the night when it passes. Is there not in all that an oath sufficient for one of perception? Have you not considered how your Lord dealt with Ad? With Iram who had lofty pillars the likes of whom had never been created in the land 
And with Thamud, who carved out the rocks in the valley. And with Pharaoh, owner of the stakes. All of whom oppressed within the land. And increased therein the corruption. So your Lord poured upon them a scourge of punishment. Indeed, your Lord is in observation. And as for man, when his Lord tries him and thus is generous to him and favors him, he says, My Lord has honored me. But when he tries him and restricts his provision, he says, My Lord has humiliated me. No, but you do not honor the orphan. And you do not encourage one another to feed the poor 